0: Good morning and welcome to the second installment of the IPM, or Integrated Pest Management, podcast. My name is Dave Nicolai. I'm with the University of Minnesota Extension. I'm a crops educator. We have a special guest today on this morning's podcast, Dr. Jeff Gonzales, a University of Minnesota Extension Specialist in Weed Science. And Jeff, would you like to introduce yourself? You've been around a long time, and so if uh, they haven't known you already, maybe they should. So just go right ahead and... and, uh, just give them a little bio of, your, of yourself this morning.
1: Sure. Thank you, Dave. So, as Dave said, I'm Jeff Consolas. I've been a corn-soybean extension weed specialist since 1986. In retrospect, when I look at this particular year, I have to say that uh, this has been a most challenging year. I've been through some droughts. I've been through some very wet conditions through in Minnesota, my time in Minnesota. But that's why we're here today to, to talk about this issue. I grew up in Southern Wisconsin. I have two degrees from Iowa State University, and also I've got my PhD at North Carolina State, so I've had a chance to work in different cropping systems. A lot of corn and soybeans, of course, in Iowa, but it was fun working in peanuts and cotton in the South as well. It kind of expands your brain to think about weeds in a different context uh, within different cropping systems. So that's, that's been great fun. So, you know, been in Minnesota now since 86. Over the last few years, I've been spending a lot of my time, probably more time than people want to listen to it, but dealing with resistant weed management issues. Uh, very important issue, and I think one that plays into this issue today as well. Also working on trying to keep Palmer Amaranth from taking too big a hold in Minnesota.
0: Well, Thanks, Jeff. We want to talk a little bit about weed management uh, this morning under delayed corn and soybean planting conditions and certainly, Jeff, this has been a challenging year for that. We think about all the factors that have gone into this year's crop. We've uh, started to plant some in the month of April and then, of course, we had challenges all the way through May with excessive precipitation in parts of the state, very cold temperatures, lack of growing degree day units and so forth. And then, of course, just recently, a lot of the delayed soybean planting has come into an effect. And, you know, with a lot of that, we have variable height in weeds out there, certainly, and we have variable height in crops. In a number of my years here in Extension, I don't ever remember when we've had such variability from field to field within a certain farming operation. Certainly, growers were challenged this year. You want to talk a little bit about maybe setting the table here, so to speak, of what some of the best management practices that you've seen that have been done you know, earlier this year and then kind of transcend to where we're at today?
1: You know, the number one practice as a guiding principle for weed management, you're probably dealing at annual crops here with annual weeds are, you, are your biggest foe. So the first thing you need to keep in mind is an even start at planting. In other words, you don't want to give the weeds any kind of head start. And so, effectively using a burn-down herbicide or effective pre-plant tillage to take out the weeds that have emerged at that time is really the first best place to start in, in all of these situations. Giving weeds a head start, even though it looks minuscule, as we'll get to later, they can start getting big fast. And so, the even start concept is is important.
0: Well, we talk about pre-emergent herbicides, and some farmers were very fortunate and and got those on maybe in a timely fashion. But again, coming back to, you know, different heights of the weeds and the crops and so forth, are there some pre-emergent herbicides, and, you know, we think about weeds that are coming like water waterhemp. Can you actually make those applications, you know, successfully over the top, so to speak, of of an emerged corn or soybean crop?
1: Yes, you can, Dave. It depends on the herbicide, of course and that's what reading labels can help you do we'll get into that in a little bit but really you know putting out if you're going to put out a pre-emergence herbicide the residual weed control can be very beneficial even after the crop is up you can do that with some of the pre-emergence herbicides but i would also recommend that it also be mixed with a glyphosate or a glufosinate something to burn down the existing weeds. Because again, the even start is important. You don't want to give weeds a head start. But also what's important is there's less risk in controlling any of your weeds. Err on the early side rather than on the late side. So by what I mean with that is just what you were saying. Pre-emergence weed control is early season weed control. Early post-emergence weed control is preferred. If the ideal is to apply at four inch weeds, but you need to be out there with your pre-emergence and the weeds are one or two inches tall. That is just fine. There's much less risk in, in dealing with that because you have given then your crop, which has had a tough time already, you've given it a head start over the weeds, and every day counts.
0: Well, we think last week, for instance, Jeff, you know, we had some very warm temperatures here, you know, eighties and even approaching ninety. Let's talk a little bit about biology of weeds. You know, think about other weeds here, giant ragweed. Water, hemp, lambs quarters, and so forth. You know, how fast can they grow here? And we talk about the importance of early season scouting. You want to uh, just kind of review some of the basic principles here, what people should keep in mind?
1: Sure. First of all, I think a little bit of good news on this front is that with the delayed planting, some of your early emerging weeds, especially giant ragweed, is usually one of the first out of the ground in, in this state, and then also lamb's quarters very early emerging weed a lot of that if you're late planting and you were going out at the end of end of may in early june you are probably taking out a lot of those with your tillage or your burn down operation and that's that's good news and things like giant ragweed you might not be seeing much of again a lot of it goes back into a secondary dormancy and you're done for the year but with these warmer temps that you mentioned, open ground, the thing that really is on my mind now is you're really setting the stage for a very productive year for water hemp. Water hemp loves heat, all the pigweeds do, and it also is a very extended weed emergence period. Under, like, unlike the giant ragweed, it can go well into July. And so that's the area I think we need to spend a lot of time uh, thinking about now is weeds like the hemp And that's where the pre-emergence comes out in, um, sometimes we may even need to uh, have a second application of a pre-emergence if the label allows. Weeds are sneaky. So annual weeds, at first they don't look like they're growing very fast. Takes three weeks, maybe a little shorter now, but two to three weeks, maybe four, before they get to that three to four inch height. But that's the time when you definitely need to do your weed control because after that, weeds can put on a couple inches in a week in some cases. And the other thing with that that height is once they exceed that, that's when they have their greatest impact on crop competition and yield loss. So to get good weed control, reduce yield impact, err on the early side for weed control. That's the bottom line.
0: So some of the best management practices that you're outlining here are early season scouting right. and treat every field differently yep. because of the fact of when these fields were planted under different conditions. Uh, certainly crop height is very variable out there. We have everyone from two-collar corn to three, four, five-collar corn in terms of that and, and labels. Are there some risks with pushing this uh too long. I think you indicated certainly on the weed size there certainly is.
1: On the weed size there is. It's also important to look at the label to see what the maximum crop height uh, growth stage is for both corn and beans for a lot of your post-emergence herbicides. Obviously, with things like glyphosate and Liberty now, the fact of herbicide-induced crop injury, some of those things are less risky now. depends on what else you're putting with it. Sometimes it's about crop residue restrictions. Other times, it's about inducing herbicide-induced crop injury. So that's another area that we'll need to be watching out for. In soybeans, if you're going with the uh, delayed pre, it's very important to watch out for the group 14 herbicides. Those are the PPO inhibitor types like Authority, Valor, and Sharpen. If you look on the label, you have three days after planting, you can put those on but after that the concern is if those soybeans start to crack through the ground or come up and you put those herbicides on you can cause crop injury and the worst is if you burn it off below the cotton lead group 15 herbicides like dual outlook Warrant, zidua they have given leaf stages but they have a much better crop safety issue to address the one exception we have is prefix which is a combination of dual okay, and, and Flexstar, and you can put that on to smaller growth stages without getting the group a group 14 injury is severe.
0: One of the things you mentioned, Jeff, was the applications of some of these herbicides a little bit later in the season. And we're sometimes concerned about being too late. Can you give us an example? I think you mentioned a Flexstar. Do you want to go into that a little bit more?
1: Yeah, one thing, and this showed up a lot last year when there was delays also in planting and and addressing weeds in soybeans, Uh, Flexstar applications, keep in mind they do have carryover potential. They have a 10-month replant restriction going into corn the next year. So with that 10-month replant restriction, you start doing the math from July, and you see that you start getting pretty close to an early planting corn, and you can have some injury. And some of the carryover numbers were, were a bit higher this, this, last, this last year. So keep that in mind as far as how far you can take the Flexstar. And also look at crop rotation restrictions from other post-emergence herbicides as well. So that's, that's another thing to keep out there. And also it reinforces why that residual pre-emergence approach in soybeans is so important. Even if you have to do the layered pre approach where you come back, you know, two to three, maybe four weeks after the application of the first pre, because you're going to have more extended weed control and you'll have more effective tools to use at that time. And keep in mind also that with the water hemp, we have a lot of the population is resistant to the site of action tubes, the pursuit chemistries, for example and becoming more prevalent with glyphosate as well. And we have populations that are also resistant to the PPOs, the 14s. So, Dave, one of the most frustrating things it could be is to go out with a Flexstar, go out late, and then also find out you have a population that's resistant to that herbicide. So then you set yourself up for even more problems.
0: Well One of the factors that may be affecting us down the road here, Jeff, is that you know, we've been planting these soybeans a little bit later, but, you know, we have this phenomenon, obviously, of day length, and that's part of the mechanism here in terms of when soybeans will be flowering. Right. And we think about, besides not only next year, but there are some cutoffs for herbicide applications that are predicated on the fact of when we get first flower or when R1 or R2 occurs. We could talk a little bit about that. Certainly, we have some of our herbicides, some of the uh, dicamba-based products, uh, Extend, et cetera. Uh, they may have a you know an R one first uh, flower stage in here. I mean, Liberty uh, is obviously in the same uh, situation here with that. And then we have Roundup Ready and the new enlist products and so forth that can be applied up you know through that R two stage and so forth. Are are there some concerns here? And of course, that may segue into uh, you know other regulations as well.
1: Yeah, good question, Dave. And and yes, the day length factor, especially with soybeans, really does trigger the flower development, and that's when you have to look at the R1, R2 stages for your various post-herbicides. It also goes back to a general broad saying, and, and I won't take credit for it. I'll give it that credit where it was due to Lisa Banken, with the overall arching idea of under most conditions by July 1, you should be done with your weed management. I don't think that's going to happen this year. But that's the goal, and that's part of the reason for that, Dave, is is those cutoff dates. Um, But we do have another cutoff date that's out there, and it's in the news now, is the dicamba use on the dicamba-resistant-traded soybeans. In Minnesota, we have a June 20th uh, cutoff date, and that was set up, in other words, to help reduce off-target movement to crops that are further along in development. For example, if they were nearing flowering, Dave, that's when the impact is more critical. And the impact on other crops, adjoining crops that are sensitive to dicamba. And so the June 20th is set there to, it's a risk averse approach to reduce the impact of dicamba on other fields, other crops, neighbors that have planting other traded soybeans, other crops like grapes, etc. cetera. The June 20th cutoff date was established based on what had been happening over the last couple of years in this state. MDA has put out a news release uh, yesterday and said that they were sticking with the June 20th cutoff date in Minnesota. And on that, I would just like to add, going back to what we talked about earlier about early season weed control, Soil applied herbicides, etc. Keep in mind that dicamba can be used on smaller weeds. So, from soil applied pre emergence all the way up to the R1 stage, like you mentioned. So, with early weeds that are up right now, it's a good product. Use the product now, but knowing full well that June 20th is, is the cutoff date.
0: Certainly, uh, there are situations where growers you know, may opt to do other herbicide programs post-emergence and in situation. In addition to some of the, you know, the dicamba situations here, are there other options for growers, keeping in mind, obviously, rotation restrictions and so forth that could be uh, at least explored here?
1: Well, I think, you know, what you're looking at with a lot of these things, you still have your tools. Many people have traded either Roundup or Liberty Link Soybeans. So you have that those aspects. If you don't have PPO-resistant weeds, you still have things like Cobra that can be used later in the season and, and the Flexstar. Again, one of the concerns I have with some of those herbicides is if your crop has been already through quite a bit and you're going to get crop induced herbicide-induced crop injury, I hate to set the crop back any more than, than I already have. And so really, I think it further emphasizes that when you have the field working days available to you now, early season weed control, getting as much residual herbicide out on the landscape in your fields now will pay off as you get into July. Because things that happen in July often create problems with your neighbors, herbicide-induced crop injury, uh, poor weed control. It's just much more challenging in July.
0: A lot of growers, certainly, Jeff, have uh, multi-traded soybeans. Can you talk briefly about uh, Liberty Link and maybe Enlist a little bit about the timing and some of the best management practices and strategies for those two products in terms of being effective, how many applications, when and where, and and are there points where things don't work as well, so to speak, with a post-emergence program?
1: Well, again, one of the Overarching principles is weed size. So again, that three to four inches is sort of your max. The One thing you're kind of comparing when you look at extend, when you look at enlist versus Liberty, you're really comparing apples and oranges as far as application techniques in the sense that the enlist with the two four D, the extend with the dicamba, Roundup, they're all systemic herbicides. They move in the plant to the active sites to kill the weed. Whereas you're comparing that to Liberty, it's a contact herbicide. So the first thing, Dave, is with the application with Liberty type, you're changing gallonages, you want more water, you want, a quart, uh, you want more droplets, finer droplets. Um, so that cha- is very different than the application techniques that you're looking at with the, those systemic herbicides. And the one thing that really makes Liberty Treatment work very well is application followed by hot, sunny weather, where you get that contact burn. But again, the overarching principle of all of them is, on smaller weeds, is better. Uh, the bigger the weeds get, not only does it reduce the effectiveness of the herbicide, it does a couple of other things, is if you have multiple flushes of weeds, you may have some weeds hiding under a canopy of other weeds, so the herbicide was effective, but it may not have come in contact with the weeds that are underneath the bigger ones.
0: You know, one program that's relatively new because it was just you know labeled in, in some of the other countries outside the United States and so forth. So acceptability and that is in list. Right. We've had it in the, in the research plots here at the University of Minnesota. Right. Um, just a couple of words here, a little bit about management practices with that and and. Basically, what is the active ingredient and the driving force here in Enlist herbicide?
1: Well, the Enlist, what you're looking at there is a formulation of 2,4-D called 2,4-D choline. It's a plant growth regulator, just like dicamba is. It's a low volatile 2,4-D. The formulation that they have come up with, with the Roundup formulation, has been very good as far as the droplet sizes. We haven't had a lot of movement of, of the herbicide as far as particle drift, etc. I don't know how much use there is in the state at this particular time, but I think we have a little lower volatility. It seems to stay where you put it in the context of spraying, and it is a very effective broadleaf herbicide mixed with the glyphosate.
0: Well, Jeff, as we approach the end of this podcast, any uh, last Comments or best management practices that you might have uh, for the audience here in terms of reviewing what we've talked about here and and uh, leaving with them some guidance and hope here for this season's weed control?
1: Well again part of the hope is the fact that uh, with some of the late applications or some of the late planting some of your early season weeds, I would expect to be less of a problem. Um, One of the things I want to remind people of is I know it's challenging but the more you can uh, put the inputs into weed control, say like with a water hemp, the less impact you're going to have on producing more weed seed to go in the weed seed bank for next year, because you just escrow those problems into the future. So thinking about that, if you have drowned out areas or prevent plant areas, I would say you know be very diligent in. Cover crop planting, of getting something out there on the landscape. That gets to be a very complicated issue with insurance and government programs, et cetera. But cover up that, that landscape so that those weeds can't really take as be a hold, give them some competition. I think that's very important. I've been very impressed over the last couple of years, the people that have started coming back to interrow cultivation. And are walking fields and roguing out some of their water hemp issues. And what's really driving that, Dave, is the fact that we have water hemp that are resistant to three classes of herbicides. We're running out of that, diminishes the amount of effective tools that we have in soybeans. So, the twos, nines, and 14s those site of actions are the ones that are in jeopardy.
0: You mentioned the cover crops, and just to put a plug in for some of our co-workers. Uh, The the last couple of weeks, the University of Minnesota Extension, at least the uh, crops team, have been very diligent in producing a number of crop e-news. So if folks haven't had a chance to look at those, they cover uh, some of the early season weed growth that we've talked about. They talk about cover crop options, timing with cover crops, etc. Just go in and and do a search on on the Internet for University of Minnesota Crop e-news. Take a look at that. You can sign up and get those on a regular basis, but certainly that'll give them more information about that. We've had areas where corn has been planted, not in the middle of the field, say, for example, it's been too wet, but around the periphery. So we've got these smaller areas that have added up to prevent planting and and et cetera. So there are a lot of things here, Jeff, to keep keep in mind, but certainly the audience has one opportunity or a couple opportunities here this summer to actually see these in real life. Uh, we have upcoming on July 3rd I believe down at Rochester our co-workers uh, down in that area Ryan Miller and uh, Lisa Benkin have put together an every year an, an excellent weed science tour the morning of the July 3rd at the near the Rochester Regional office at the University of Minnesota you can look up that on the e news on the calendar as well And then finally uh, last shameless plug I'll put in here is for the field school at the University of Minnesota for AG professionals. Growers are welcome as well. That's July 30th and 31st. A good opportunity to attend hands-on. And you put out a marvelous herbicide mode of action display every year. And we're trusting that you have another one planned again for this year.
1: I do. And I'll put in one other shameless plug. And that would be for next Tuesday. I think that's the 19th is the Wasika Field Day? And I, Tom Hoverstead always has some weed science type things there, and I think they're going to get into the cover crops as well, so we can put that out there. And I hope to have I, both of these field days, even if I'm not there, I'll have some plants of the various amaranth species so people can test their identification skills of Paul amaranth. Powell, uh palmer amaranth, red root pigweed, and water waterhemp. So come and check it out, and uh, you might as well get used to identifying these things because it's becoming important.
0: A great educational opportunities coming up here this summer. So with that, I'd like to say a personal thank you to Anthony Hansen for being our editor here and our sound engineer on this second installment of the 2019 IPM podcast. So with that, this is Dave Nikolai, and we're signing off under this podcast, Weed Management Under Delayed Corn and Soybean Planting Conditions.